The future of fitness is here. Be a part of it. NASM's new virtual coaching course will equip you with the skills, tools, and strategies necessary to launch, operate, or transition your current fitness or wellness business to a successful virtual coaching business. As a virtual coaching specialist, you'll open yourself up to a whole new world of opportunities, being able to help clients from around the world, anywhere and anytime. It's the ultimate flexibility as a trainer, while also creating new revenue streams. Start the next phase of your training career with NASM's Virtual Coaching Specialization. Sign up today at nasm.org or call 1-800-460-6276. You are listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we are joined. I am joined. My producer, Greg, is joined by three people from our product team, and these are the guys that make it happen, put it together, figure it out. I'm going to learn about what's going on today because I don't even necessarily know why and how and all the, the things that take place in Develop some of the best fitness education products in the world that NASM offers. So I've got today Mike Fantagrassi, Ian Montel, and Brian Sutton. Hello, gentlemen. Anyway, good morning. All right. Well, let's see. I've got some questions about what's going on. And, um, I, you know, I've known all three of you for a very long time. And I kind of not really exactly sure what each one of you do. So <laughs> if you could just go uh, maybe one by one and we'll go with um, Mike and then Brian and then Ian, if you don't mind, and just tell us who you are and, and what your roles are at NASN. Yeah, so um, Mike Fangrossi, I'm the Senior Director of Product Development at NASN and been with the company for 10 years, actually started off as an instructor. And uh, Rick was one of the people that helped mentor me and train me. But over the last three years, I moved into the product development role, um, overseeing that. So in, in my role, I have three teams. One is the events team, which is our master instructors that do the different types of virtual and live events. And then we have our product management team, which we'll, we'll talk in more detail about what they do. Um, but those are the people that really do the market research. They help us figure out uh, what we should be building and then how to make our products better. And then the other side is the build team, and those are uh, multiple members of that team, and they're the ones that take all that information and figure out how to make the best products in the world. And really, my role is to help support them and, and make them able to do their jobs. Excellent. Well, I remember when you were a young man and you went through the course and I was helping to bring you on and now I call you boss. So well done, Mike, as <laughs> you've progressed with, uh, at NASM. So thank you uh, for, for being here and talking us through what's going on. Uh, now, Brian, who we spoke to just recently, mm -hmm. let's just do a quick recap of what we talked about last time, who you are and what you do with NASM. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Uh, Brian Sutton, so I'm content and production manager for NASM. Um, so I have the lovely uh, experience of being able to oversee content. So my, my wheelhouse is all about the content. So I get to work with some really bright and smart people to uh, uh, oversee the writing process, writing the books, writing our online courses, overseeing the, the video shoots and all the study aids that go into um, our educational program. So um, 
my day today is literally 100% entrenched into the content, which is a lot of fun. And I get to meet and work with a lot of smart people. So uh, couldn't ask for a better, better gig. It's been fun. Yeah, man. I think I mentioned this when uh, when we were in the uh, session together when you were on with me. And uh, I don't think that there's a textbook that NASM has put out in the last, I don't know, 20 years that doesn't somehow have your name attached to it. So you have definitely been a, a big uh, component of what NASM has done and the content that's been developed. So thank you for everything that you've done, Brian. And now to Ian. What's going on, Ian? Hey, man, just uh, enjoying some beautiful weather out here in Arizona. So, um, yeah, I'm uh, Ian Montel, manager of uh, product management here at NASM. As Mike uh, mentioned, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, product management a little bit later on and what that means to um, a lot of the, the people that are going to be viewing this today. Uh, I came into to NASM, uh, actually brought on board and mentored uh, by you, Rick, but uh, reported as a, a workshop instructor to Mike. So um, I still report to him now as a product manager. And right now, my, my big goal with everything is to just get a good grasp of where the industry is headed and what is going to be important for the fitness professionals to know, um, because that's ultimately what drives and determines what kind of courses we build, what kind of content we work with Brian on putting together in order to meet the, the demands of uh, you as fitness professionals to make you successful. Excellent, man. Uh, I remember you going through the course as well and bringing you on into NASM. So it's always great to to see that people are continuing doing what they're doing and being a part of the NASM family and, and growing. So um, appreciate it. It's good to have you on the show and being a part of it. So I want to get into a few questions. And just recently, I was having a conversation with Randy Hetrick of TRX, CEO of TRX. And he said, one of the important things that you have to do when you're looking to develop something is that you don't develop something and then seek a problem to solve it for it. So, you know, you're, you're developing something in response, not developing something and then going to try to find people that fill in the gaps. Now, I don't know necessarily what the process is like with NASM, but I know historically the way that we've developed content and the way we currently develop content is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So can you speak to what that looked like in the past and what some of the evolutions uh, have taken place that have changed the way we do things? Yeah, I'll, I'll speak a little bit on that and then I'll turn over to Brian since he's uh, he's the most senior person here uh, when it comes in. Like them. Uh, but I would say historically, um, and this is true of a lot of organizations. SM really had, you know, one one course, which was the um, really complete OPT model, and then it was broken out into the corrective exercise specialists and PES. And at the time, they were using it with athletes, and it was something that uh, was new to the market. And then we started developing more products, and the way that it was done back then was just like, hey, we should build this, right? So we should build a fitness nutrition product. It wasn't necessarily that customers were coming to us and saying, like, we want this product or we were looking at the market and finding a problem uh, with that. So that's that's really probably the biggest change in the last three years. Uh, one of the things that we're very fortunate, um, our parent company, Ascend Learning, has lots of different um business units and what they uh, required for us is that all the product managers which i kind of consider myself a product manager as well is that we went through something called pragmatic marketing training and it was six um, different uh, courses that you took each were um, a full day long and you really learned how to think um, like a product manager and 
the reason why that's important is that it becomes you become myopic sometimes if you just look within your walls and you say, hey, we know everything. We're not going to listen to the customers because we know what, what they should have. And you just build products based on what you think people need. And that was the big change over the last three years and why we expanded our product management team to where now um, we have five people on that team is, is so that we could interview customers. We could talk to people. We could do focus groups. Uh, we could do market research surveys and really learn and understand. And sometimes we are right, sometimes we are wrong. And that helps us direct how we're uh, building products. So, uh, Brian, maybe you could talk about you were involved in the original uh, courses that we built. Sure, yeah. Uh, like Mike said, I, I guess I'm the senior guy here, so I started in 04. And the team was really small back then. And uh, I, we didn't do much market research. We didn't even know how to go about doing market research. And we didn't know anything about instructional design, which I could talk about later. Um, it was really a team of subject matter experts. And so we just like, okay, what, what topics should we teach? We need to teach corrective exercise. Let's do it. Okay, we need to teach about strength and conditioning. Okay, let's do it. Um, and that's essentially the process that we took. And then we started writing. And, you know, nowadays we go through a much more detailed process um, and we listen to our customers and we have a whole team, Ian and, and his whole team, that's what they're dedicated to, um, to ensuring that the, now the vision is uh, where it's supposed to be. Um, the other thing that I think that we've brought to the table that we never had before is instructional design. And what that means is we have, staff members and their whole education, their whole expertise is learning and e-learning specifically. So it's not just about providing really good content. If someone doesn't understand the content, we didn't do a good job of teaching it. So we strive to not only provide the best evidence-based content, but do it in a way that's digestible. A person can retain the information, not just short-term, but long-term. And then ideally, hopefully, that means that they're going to be a better professional out in the field. So that's some of the ways where that we've uh, expanded what we do. And then I have a question real quick about what that might look like. And it might be a question for Ian, I'm not sure, but what do those research questions look like when you're asking people, uh, what, what do you believe NASM needs to, what do you wanna be educated on? And then when you get those answers, what happens? Like how many answers in one direction or another takes place before you go, hey, maybe we should consider creating some content around this concept? Yeah, and that, that's a really great question, Rick. Um, a lot of the uh, conversations that we have are, are really organic. We'll go into them with a, a big idea or one big question, and then um, you, you know, go the, the old adage of go five questions deep. So we keep asking until we get to uh, the, the substance or the, the, um, the, the substance that we're looking for that the individual is, is trying to provide us um, just to get more clarity on things. Uh, and oftentimes, as, as you mentioned, an, an interesting point is um, we're looking to design courses, content products to help people overcome problems. Um, and the difficult thing is uh, sometimes they don't even know what the problem is. Um, they, they are just giving us symptoms of the problem. And so it's really up to us to come together as a team with that feedback 
uh, take it to the the um, the dev team, so Brian and his team, and discuss it with them, and they become really creative on how we overcome those those obstacles that they have. So it may be something as simple as it's a learning issue um, where uh, we we go to the gyms and the gyms continually say uh, new trainers are coming in and they just don't have the soft skills, and so. We interpret that as, you know, those are the sales and the retention and how you're talking to clients, behavior coaching, that kind of thing. So we take it back to Brian and team and they figure out practical solutions to help us start getting those pieces into place, whether that's a new course, um, it, maybe it's getting some uh, mentorship pieces going on, or it's developing entirely new technology to help support those. So it's really just about asking more and more questions, but going into it with um, a goal of just some high level information we're looking to get and digging a little bit deeper. Okay. And, and when these questions get asked, you start going deeper. A lot of times you mentioned people don't really know necessarily what the problem is. So I thought it was really interesting. Yep. How you stated that they're, they're talking about the symptoms of a problem because they haven't identified fully yet what that problem is. So this five questions deep that you're talking about allows you to just dig a little bit deeper, dig a little bit deeper instead of, going one direction and then going a completely other direction, find it, pinpoint it, dig deeper into that to find out what exactly is, at, at least with this individual showing the issue. So now you've got, is this a focus group that this is happening with? Is this one-on-one? -on -one? And at what point do you go, hey, we've run into this, we found this with X amount of people out of X amount, let's start creating some change. Let's make some change around this topic. Yeah, and there's a lot of different ways that we go about that. Um, you know, another thing that, that we really get to is um, N does not equal one. And so we can't go up based off of just the feedback from one individual. So when we're talking about the feedback we're gathering, um, it, it's from a lot of different groups. It can be focus groups, um, individual interviews. Uh, we do a lot of surveys uh, that I'm, mm. I'm sure a lot of our um, pros have been a part of. Uh, but the other thing we do is we really take a look at it from a lot of different perspectives. So while the, the professional perspective is very important, we also need to know what are the requirements for them being hired and being effective in the industry, um, staying in the industry long term. What are their clients looking for? What are the, the overall assumptions around that? Where is the industry headed? So it's a lot of information that we take in to figure out what that vision is and then communicate it effectively to be able to get the, the results that we need um, to help support the professional through their career. And it, and this is a change that seems to have taken place over the last several years with NASM that was not in place before, is that correct? Yeah, I, I will uh, pa pass that on to Mike because he's been the big driver behind this shift of, in focus that we've had in regards to the way that we're approaching things, looking at uh, the, the issues within the industry and figuring out ways to, to solve those problems. Yeah, just to piggyback on what Ian said with uh, the market research, just kind of a high level, you know, we'll form a hypothesis and then we'll talk to different focus groups, individuals, and then we look to validate that through surveys. And if we've done a good job collecting the data, then the survey should be in alignment with what we're hearing. And if, if not, then it means that we didn't do a good job collecting that data and we got to go back to the drawing board and revisit that. Um, as far as what we've done with the product team, you know, uh, I've been very fortunate. So Lori McCartney, our president, came in. And then shortly after that, that's when I moved into the role. And she was very supportive of us really rebuilding the, the product team. You know, at the time, um, our product team was a little bit smaller. 
Um, since then, I would say that we've at least tripled, if not quadrupled, the size of our product team. And um, we'll talk about those individual wow. roles you know, in a little bit, but you know, the product managers, the builders, the instructional designers, the content developers, um, the SMEs, the budget that we have. Um, and one of the biggest things that Lori did, which really pushed us, I think, in a new direction with our products too, is the vision of the way that we shot our video content. Uh, we, we've been working with a group primarily out of California as our video partners. And that's something that uh, Lori had used for marketing purposes. And we went in and at first we're like, holy, holy cow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> a video shoot, right? Um, and it, but it was a professional set. You know, it's like, you know, they shoot commercials and stuff like that. We have grips and, you know, all the different positions and teleprompters, multiple camera angles, set designers and all that stuff. Uh, because what you see a lot with, and it's not only true, you know, in our industry, but other industries as well, people spend a lot of money on the marketing, right? And there's this flashy uh, marketing and video and stuff. And you get into the product or course, and it doesn't look anything like the marketing. And so yeah. one of the things that's been great is that a lot of times we'll shoot the marketing content and the interviews and stuff along with or at the tail end of our our, our shoots. And so it's really consistent. You know, if you see a video, there's a good chance that, that came from a real course that we've redeveloped. And so, you know, our goal too, with all of our core products, which we're starting with first, um, you know, CPT, we just finished with CES and we have some more updates coming to that. Um, we'll begin working on PS and redeveloping that one here, um, you know, for, for next year. And so um, that that's what's really exciting is, is that we just have a lot more support. Um, we're really treating this um, using the best practices when it comes to product development. What are, you mentioned several different groups in there, like product mm -hmm. managers and instructional designers. I don't, I don't really know what that means or what those differences are. So can you just break down what it means? Well, like what is a content developer and a content strategist and what does SME mean? So mm -hmm. if you could just kind of go through uh, th those things and give us a better understanding of what um these are and then how it all works together to create these uh, amazing products yeah so maybe i'll just start with the the top you know last question like how it comes together and i'll let ian talk about product management and brian has you know real deep knowledge of his teams uh, but essentially when you have all these different pieces um you know at a very high level i think we discussed it a little bit you have essentially the problem team which is the product managers and they're looking for what are the problems in the market what are the trends, um, collecting information, really having a pulse on the industry. And it's not that Brian and the other people don't, it's just that their day-to-day -day job is literally building content, reviewing stuff, working with their subject matter experts, where as a product manager, you do have time to review information. Uh, sometimes it's reviewing uh, you know, content, looking at different pieces of stuff, doing market research, um, talking to our customers, which is really important. Um, and then talking to subject matter experts. So doing all the upfront work. Uh, another piece which um, I'm involved a lot in is if we are building a new product, we'll do a business case. And this is where we kind of take all this information in and we really figure out uh, if it makes sense to, to do this. And then that's where we go to uh, our company and, and essentially our board and ask for additional money to build a new product. And so that was the case with the CNC product um, there's some other products that we have upcoming, which we did that as well, that'll help expand our product line. Um, and, and then the, the build team is the is the solutions team. So then they take all that information, there's a handoff, and they really then look and figure out how can we best build this product, 
Um, how can we support the learners as they go through the product? And, and then once it gets ready to be released, then the product managers and the build teams work together. So the product managers help um, inform the other people, stakeholders in the business, you know, marketing and um, operation and sales. They get them excited about the product. They're also checking in on the product. Ultimately, they're the ones responsible for the product. So if something goes wrong, it's Ian's fault. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, we do work closely with marketing. And that's another evolution that we're going through right now is really figuring out how better to partner with our marketing team and the brand managers over there. So that way, when we do release a course, um, you know, we're on the same page and, and you know, all the work that we're going into it, they're, they're going to do the best job they can communicating to the different um, people out there about why they should take our course. And we'll talk a little bit too about some of the technological advancements that we've done as well too, which I think is underrated, but really important with the future of our industry. Uh, but Ian, why don't you take over with the product managers and go a little bit more detail what they do. Yeah, um, we get this question a lot uh, and it's relatively new to our industry. Um, product management is, is traditionally more technology based um, but it was important that we brought this into the, the NASM family because we really needed to understand the, the industry, where things were headed, um, and truly get down and, and take a look at who um, the, the fitness professional was and what they needed at the end of the day. Um, and so what our role within the organization is, is to be the passionate and ardent defenders of um, the market space. Uh, so when I speak about the market space, it's the fitness professional and our our job is to be their voice to the organization and this is really what they need this is where things are headed um and being able to provide that in a um a, a storytelling um way a, a very realistic way to the organization helps marketing um to be able to communicate what it is we're doing what the courses are what the benefits are going to be um to to you as the, the fitness professional um it helps the the build team understand what they need to be doing, what, what content's gonna be important, what assets within the, the courses are gonna be important. And, and the assets are the types of videos or the interactivities that you're going through, um, what you need to be tested on to be a, a good professional out in the industry. Um, and we really serve as that voice of the market, the product, um, and take full ownership of that, not only internally within the walls of NASM, but really externally to the rest of the industry. Uh, that does include things like fully understanding our competitors, what their direction is, where they're going, what they've got coming up, um, all, all the way down, as I mentioned before, to uh, the end user and how they're gonna be interacting with our product. And that may ultimately be, as I mentioned before, um, the, the clients that our fitness professionals are gonna be interacting with. And that's, that's one of the big things when it comes to CPT that um, I've worked closely with Brian on um, is taking a look at what what's going to be best to provide our fitness professionals so that they can have that big impact on their clients. That at the end of the day, if the clients are successful, that means the trainers are successful and we have done our job in, in educating those uh, trainers as they get out there into the industry. I gotcha. So regarding the content and the subject matter experts, SMEs, <laughs> uh, is that where Brian, are you the one that works with these guys and helps to identify who the experts are in the industry, who we can tap on the shoulder to be contributors to textbook and the content that we provide? 
Yeah, you, you got it. So we use a lot of acronyms, obviously, at NASM, and SME yeah. is one of them. You know, so subject matter expert. Um, and a subject matter expert can be uh, varied. You know, we, we use lots of different types of subject matter experts. Um, probably the most common thing that someone would think of is an author. So we, we do tap into our network of professionals. Um, like, for example, the Certified Nutrition course, uh, we had 20 different authors, and they all ranged in different uh, expertise. Some were psychologists, some were physiologists, uh, registered dietitians, you name it. And so we can we can exploit their expertise to build a cohesive curriculum. But we also have uh, graphic artists, uh, copy editors, videographers, uh, multimedia people, coders, um, because again, we're building online education. So it's more than just writing text. It's really how can we provide this content and in a medium that really helps the learner absorb that content. Um, but yeah, our, our database of SMEs is, is growing by leaps and bounds. Um, we work with some of the best and brightest in the industry. And then in addition to that, we just don't take the content written from the SME and say, okay, great. Now let's move on. Um, there's a substantial peer review process that we go through. So I may have one PhD write a chapter and then I'll have another PhD peer review that chapter and it'll go through multiple revisions. And then we'll have a second peer reviewer review it again. And then myself will peer review it again. And then it goes through copy editing. So to write a manuscript, it's actually a pretty lengthy process because you've got to make sure that it's uh, it's one, it's factually accurate to it's written at a level that's appropriate for our audience. Um, some individuals want to write at a postdoctoral level. Maybe, maybe we have to tone it down. Um, maybe sometimes they were they have their own agenda. Um, when they're presenting the content, we have to make it more objective. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. But we, we, we go through a rigorous process to make sure that the content is absolutely on point and our reference is all the work that ian and his team does to make sure that whatever the content we're writing hits the vision that the market research wants so when when you're starting to pull all these guys together and you've got these phds that are writing stuff um is there at any point where you're like man these guys are so smart like these some of these researchers are so good at what they do and now i have to read it and critique it and I laugh about this because I remember when I was first a personal trainer and I got somebody was a doctor, like an MD. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be like going <laughs> as a charlatan, a fool, an imbecile. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of times there are people who write and they do stuff like this, but being able to write it within the context and at the level that it mm -hmm. needs somebody to read it and not just to be like whether or not this is actually real, um, peer reviewed content based off the actual research and the evidence, but also based off of how it gets delivered. So I, I would be nervous reading their stuff. Cause I would like, I don't know this, you know, they're, they're professionals in their field, but sometimes you read it and you're like, man, I, you're smart. I get it, but I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and that, that does happen from time to time where I'll get content and it's written at a level where I'm like, holy moly, you know, <laughs> um, and you know, half the chapter is all about 
biochemistry and organic chemistry. And I'm like, well, while that's great, it doesn't hit the mark on what we're trying to deliver. And so we'll have to have that back and forth. Honestly, most of the, the professionals that I've worked with, I mean, a lot of them, obviously, they're, they're, they're PhDs or DPTs. And, you know, they have all the acronyms, right? They have the alphabet soup behind their name. Yeah. But most of them, they're all just great people. Right. Um, and so there's a human element to it. And uh, they, they, they take feedback really well. They're, they're just wonderful, smart people. And if they're willing to work with us, uh, I'm willing to work with them. And uh, I've never really had an issue with a, a subject matter expert in, in, in sort of that way. Um, sometimes, you know, it happens, but it's, it's, it's really rare. Um, they understand our audience. And that's one of the things when, when we bring in an author, we have an extensive onboarding process with them where we teach them, here's our audience, here's the vision of the course, here's what we're trying to hit. Um, here's the rigor and the reading level that we want it to be at. We still want it evidence-based, we still want the latest science, but here, here's, um, here's what we're trying to do. And with all the peer reviews and the copy edits, finally that rough manuscript really gets polished into something that's really presentable for everybody. Well, I know that a lot of the folks that you have had, whether it was contributor to the CNC or the new corrective exercise specialist course, they, they've they been fantastic. You had a good experience with them. So when I reached out and I was like, hey, do you have any suggestions for who could be on the podcast? <sighs> I had like this whole list, like you, like the old wallets that are like, let me show you a picture. And then like 30 come out, right? So being able to see the names on that list and many of the people who have contributed to the podcast have just have already previously been subject matter experts that have worked on projects so um thank you for for those suggestions and for us to have the opportunity to have them on but it's very clear to me after having these conversations with them why they were selected to be contributors um so i want to i want to bring up something that that's kind of interesting because you've mentioned the CNC multiple times, so certified nutrition coaching by uh, NASM. But there was something like, was that like the the tipping point or the game changing point? Uh, this particular product and how it was delivered that made NASM kind of go, "Wow, home run! This is the way it should be done going forward." Yeah, so I can speak to that. Um, so, um, you know, again, Lori came in, um, she really challenged us to to build something and take it to the next level. And it's something that we wanted to do for a long time. It was, it was kind of a pet project of mine. And, and when we got the opportunity with it, um, one of the things we did prior to that product is really we were trying to figure out how to create better processes with our products. So we actually went through a lot of uh, training different models on the development process for products, um, you know, working with our project managers to, to really figure out like when we should do stuff and bring different people in. And then when we got the opportunity to start building that product, we implemented a lot of those strategies and we learned a lot. And then we evolved that process from there, which we used um, to redevelop the CES course, um, the gear course. Uh, you know, it'll be used on the CPT course, the PES, and really everything forward, and we'll keep refining it. Uh, but what we did with that one was, as Brian mentioned, what's more typical uh, when you're building education content is either you'll have different authors write different chapters, and you get a textbook. And this is probably more common if you take like a college course and, and you read their textbook. Is 
it's very disjointed. You might have a good author in one chapter, you read another chapter, and the yeah. writing style is different. It goes deeper. Then there's sidebars that sometimes don't uh, match the content because the text has been carried over so many times. Or you'll work with just one author who's very broad, but they're not very deep in their knowledge base. And so then there might be some inaccuracies in the content. And that was really our goal is kind of solve both those problems. How do we work with the best SMEs in the world? And that's one thing we really started to do with CNC. And we did that with prior projects, but not that volume of, of SMEs to where we want to work with like one of the top researchers on alcohol, right? Um, someone that's one of the top people on motivational interviewing and bring that all together. And they all shared the vision of the product. Um, there was a lot of vetting of SMEs too, to find the right people who want to be involved in that project. And as Brian mentioned, you know, he really helped um, refine that process of this multiple peer reviewers. And so we'll have Arthur's kind of like next level um, reviewers and sometimes like meta SMEs that help us with the entire project uh, to make sure all the content aligns. And then that way, Brian and his team can focus more on the voice and, and making sure it all also seems like one coherent course. And again, it's not like you're reading, you know, you feel like it's a different person reading each chapter. Uh, so that that was the, the big change. The product launched and was very successful. And then that allowed us to build off that momentum, um, invest more money in the product team, um, hire more people, and then start to really rebuild our entire foundation or core of our products. And, you know, and then once we're, we're done with that, and we'll move on to secondary products. Now, there's always pluses and minuses. You know, the challenge is that this costs more money and, and time to keep that quality. Um, so, you know, sometimes it can take a year, sometimes a little longer to build a product when you're going through all these steps. Um, but I think we found a fairly efficient way of doing it where we're still updating content pretty regularly uh, without sacrificing the quality. And uh, one of the biggest things too, the biggest change uh, which we can talk about a little bit too is the delivery system of the course this next-gen delivery system yeah that's something that matt miller who's one of our team members had this idea and it was really um you know uh, very forward thinking and it was like hey how, how do we replace a textbook or at least instead of using a typical learning management system where there's a lot of clicking on different stuff it's not very visually appealing can you take all that and just put all that content in one space you don't have to leave you click on a video it plays from there um, and so there's a lot of great upcoming features with that, but the fact that you could, you know, be on your phone and learn on a tablet or a PC, it syncs. Uh, I think that's really going to be the future of, of education and, and we're way ahead on that piece. Yeah, that's amazing. I was actually taking a course one time on technology and they were doing something I thought was really cool. It was uh, a textbook. It was a virtual textbook. So you could go through and read, you know, you've swiped the screen with your finger, but inside you know there there are the options of videos to play within the text and you know it's like the book comes to life and i feel like that's the direction we're heading right now and yeah some people want a book in their hands made out of paper that they can take with them but when i was in school uh, I did that for the first semester and I had to lug that heavy backpack around everywhere I went and then I was like you know I can buy this on a Kindle and I have every one of my textbooks and um, but seeing these other textbooks where they come to life and I feel like these products that you're talking about you know there's reading that goes through it and it's not necessarily a virtual textbook but you click on it and there's a video that plays and and so you're not just stuck 
reading it. And that's why we get so much positive feedback about the podcast is that it's a conversation about topics that they were reading about that they weren't, there was no, uh, they were unsettled by the reading. It, it, it ruffled feathers. It, it, it made the waters muddy. Like there's a lot of information and it's hard to understand it when you read it. And then you hear some guy talk about it um, broken down and it seems so much more simple. And the reason why is that a textbook isn't a novel. A textbook is a learning document. It is a reference document, but it's not like for summer reading. You don't sit at the beach and read the textbook. So when you've got a delivery system that makes it seem so much more palatable and understandable, and you feel like you can listen to it and read it and then turn around and do it the next day. And offering that in that direction is really wonderful. And for people who need more than having supplements like the podcast or what we've done recently is working on audio lectures for the corrective exercise course or what we've been doing for years, offering live workshops and trainings so that people can attend to, to just find every way that people learn, people receive information and try to try to solve the problems, which is what you mentioned earlier. Why do you put something together? Uh, we don't put it together and seek a problem to solve. After we've built it, we've tried to find out what the problems are and then plug the holes. And I think that's wonderful what's been done and the shifts that have changed with NASM over the past several years. Now, with that said, um, I'm assuming these are really expensive projects and they are um, incredibly overwhelmingly time sensitive. So what is this process like where, I mean, you've mentioned all of these different people that work on a product. It, it, everybody's got plates spinning, but it's like this team somehow has to match up with that team, has to match up with this team to have one cohesive um, solution. How is that even possible? How do, how do the groups all create a cohesive thing uh, in a timely manner where you're not um, skimping on the quality that you're trying to develop? Yeah, so great question. Um, one person we forgot to mention are team members as our, our product manager. Our, uh, that's why it's always confusing when you talk about project versus product manager, but our project manager. So they're the glue that holds this whole thing together. Um, we have a person, Melissa, on our team who, since she's come in, she's been phenomenal. She's really helped us uh, create all these new processes. Uh, we use a uh, system called Rike to help manage all the different teams. And, and being remote, it was great that we had done that prior to COVID because that's allowed us to maintain really great communication. And then we also have hired a, a second project coordinator as well. Um, because Melissa was so uh, busy with all her day-to-day -day stuff. And, you know, so that's a big piece of it, uh, having the processes in place and having worked through that, you know, and having a, a process to follow helps with that as well. And then great communication between the teams. It, we've had some challenges since COVID, but I think that's made our team stronger. And when we do have the opportunity to come back together, I think that we're going to function even better because now we know how to work remotely really well and then we, we always worked in person, you know, really well. One of the things I'm most 
proud of with the team is that, you know, not all the team, but a majority of the team came from the fitness industry, you know, so definitely the, the product managers, a lot of the build team, you know, um, so sometimes they transitioned out of personal training um, into other roles, but ultimately they want to get back into the fitness industry and really contribute to making it better. And I think that's the common theme and why we're so passionate is that we're at heart fitness professionals, like, you know, um, if I wasn't doing this job, I'd still be looking at the same websites and training and everything else um, because it's, it's something I'm so uh, curious and fascinated about. So it's things that we geek out on. And, um, you know, the team we have is just uh, phenomenal uh, with it. But as far as like the day-to-day the -day stuff, Ryan could probably talk a little bit more on that. I know um, I'm always pushing him <laughs> with the deadlines and uh, stressing him out, but he does a great job, you know, getting stuff done. Uh, he Brian's unflappable. You don't stress that guy yeah. out. Oh, <laughs> only behind the scenes, you know. Okay, gotcha. yeah. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, yeah, it really depends on the size of the project. If it's a if it's a smaller CEU, you know, maybe we can get it out in three four months. Um, most of our courses we're, we're trending on building bigger more substantial type of content like the like the CNC the you know, CES. These courses take they do take a lot of time because of all the checks and balances that we do. The idea is to do it right the first time. Um, and so in order to do it right the first time, it takes it takes a lot of work. Um, the manuscript writing process itself typically takes four to six months. And then once the content is finally solidified, then we could actually create the multimedia around it. So then we can schedule the video shoots, which means we have to do script writing. We gotta find sets and locations and uh, talent um, and on all that. Um, and then of course, all the study aids, you know, we we take great pride in all the, the different study tools that we provide, um, lots of assessments. And when I say assessments, I'm not talking about fitness assessments, I'm talking about quizzing and, and, and test questions. And it could be, come in many forms like multiple choice or drag and drop or matching. Um, case studies, whatever, whatever the learning experts, we have instructional designers on staff, and that's really their forte is like, okay, let's, let's make sure that this content is presented in a way that helps the learner. We, we do a, a lot of what's called micro learning. So we'll present a, a small piece of content and then we'll assess the learner to make sure they understood what, what they just read or what they just watched. And then they'd move on. And then once they finish a bigger section, then we would assess them again. And then once they finish the whole course, then we'll assess them again. Um, and really just that, that repetition really, I think it, it's, it's, it's like a, it's almost like OBT, right? You have your foundation and you keep progressing on top of it. That that's essentially what we do. But the the build, I mean, it it, it depends. Some courses have taken a year and a half, almost two years to build. Others three four months. It really just depends on the size and scope of the project. Gotcha. Uh, I, I'd like to see if there are any questions that people may have about NASM, about the development team. Is there anything else that you guys want to touch on or address before we check in with Greg about questions? Yeah, just real quick. You know, the other part of our team, which we had mentioned, Rick, which is the master instructor team, you know, so they're, they're vital to this process. Um, it's, you know, we, we bounce a lot of people, um, off of the MI team, you know, ideas and stuff like that. Uh, we use a lot of the MI team as subject matter experts uh, or just in different 
parts of the development process with it. And they've also been a source of um, people we've hired, you know, for, for the company. So like I said, Ian, there's another person, Princess Rhodes, Rich Fami, Kyle Stahl um, have all been in instructors with us. Um, Tony Ambler Wright is a content strategist with us. And we didn't mention the content strategist position, but Tony's kind of the bridge between the product team and, and marketing team and helps them when they take information and put it out there. And then also help with um, producing more lightweight content that we can use, you know, for marketing and just, you know, free educational stuff. With it. That's the reason why you didn't mention it because Tony was a part of it. So I understand that. Uh, <laughs> um, hey, Greg, do you have any questions in the live feed for any of the gentlemen here about NASM? Um, Greg's saying he has to have a hard time hearing me. Can you guys hear me okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, we, we got you. Okay, all right. So everybody can hear me. Greg cannot. So, <laughs> uh, Greg, we're going to four questions. So let's do... Uh, let's do some questions of my own then. When um, when you guys start to put together these these ideas and these strategies for developing, um, what is the quickest turnaround from having these initial conversations? Because if I'm not mistaken, actually, let me question this. Uh, at Optima, at Optima, I believe there was focus. There were focus groups going on. For or certain products is that correct okay yeah. so what what do you get yeah. out of that so specifically at optima right was you did this what did you get out of that and how does that optima session at our conference about a particular concept turn into potentially something else um, that, that's a great question, Rick, and it, it kind of ties into um, the the question that you asked, and, and Brian answered a, a lot of it as far as the, the build timelines go, when it takes, or how long it takes us to actually build a course. Um, from a product management perspective, we really look at it um, like uh, professional athletes look at their entire season over the course of a year, where um, there really is no off season, they just go from their regular season into training and preparing for the next season. So. For us, it's um, we, we may launch, uh, let's say, CNC and uh, get that out the door. And at that point in time, the, the build is generally over, but the product management market research doesn't stop there. That's when we start to go into collecting feedback on what are people thinking about the course? Is it meeting their needs? Um, and that continues along until we get to uh, the next iteration cycle, so the next update to that particular course. And that really helps speed things along so that when it comes to that point in time, we've already got a really good idea of what it is we're going to do um, to help speed things along and keep it on track. Part of that is tied up into the focus groups. Um, so at, at Optima, we, we launched our new virtual um, coaching course. Uh, mm -hmm. While at the same time we were launching that, I was hosting a focus group to get more information on virtual coaching. What other content do we need to have? Where Where is this whole thing going, especially in the time of um, the, the pandemic? Where are we headed into the future? So that's, that's part of that information that we are gathering when we are hosting those focus groups. Um, that we had them across the board. We, we had focus groups for our academic 
academic partners and our international partners just digging in and trying to figure out what are their needs, um, how can we better support them, what are the problems that they need to overcome, um, and, and just general uh, feedback along where, where things are headed in their own different areas. So it, it becomes very specific to the, the topic being discussed, but it's where we do collect a lot of our information um, to either validate what we're doing or um, take us into the, the future with where we need to go. Now, we've had these focus groups as instructor teams and we've broken our instructors out. So I, I remember Princess was leading one of ours and everybody, it's funny because the instructors tend to be quite opinionated about things and we'll talk about stuff and kind of pick at things and go through it. And then we don't feel like we've gotten anything accomplished. And, and Princess is like, this is exactly what we need. This is the conversation we need to have. We need to understand what people are passionate about. We need to understand where people are coming from to give us a better idea of where to direct the next conversation. So I found it interesting that even when it felt like it wasn't going anywhere, because all the instructors are like, well, I think this, uh, yeah. that, that he was he was just using that as a, a means to absorb information and content and perspective. And that perspective drives additional things. Now, Ian, you also mentioned academic partners. How do mm -hmm. academic partners fit into this or what gets delivered to them and how are they supported by NASM? So that, that's another great question. And uh, it really comes down to it. Again, we we're gathering information from those, those partners are giving us feedback on um, what support is working, what support isn't working. Um, and, and that's one of those opportunities for us to really go back to Brian and, and his instructional designers. And that, that's one of the big reasons we brought them on is, you guys know and understand the adult learning. You understand the academic piece. And so how do we apply that not only to um, the, the general fitness professional who's coming to NASM, but how is it going to apply to uh, those uh, academic partners who are delivering our courses and our material and utilizing our content within their, um, their settings. And when we're talking about that, we're talking about um, the schools who maybe they're, they're high schools working with um, juniors and seniors at the high school level, all the way up to master's degree graduate level programs. So when, when they're coming to us with their different um, thoughts, ideas, feelings about where we're at with things, we take that back to Brian's team and then they put together a fantastic resource center. We call it our academic resource center, but it's a ton of assets for them to utilize and be able to individualize, customize to their own specific needs, whether that's at the high school level or it's working with, as I mentioned, the, the graduate level um, universities. So it, it really is kudos to Brian's team to, to be able to take the information we're bringing to them and, and get it there. But as far as those specific assets, we're, we're talking everything from lecture notes to PowerPoint slides to um, banks of uh, items for quizzes and exams. Uh, I, I know that there um, has been some um, uh, lesson plans and, and those kinds of things, ideas for activities that they can use. Uh, so just a ton of in-depth resources to bring our courses to life in that academic setting. And that's awesome. And I've, I've been through academic coursework and uh, NASM has been a part of it. So uh, it, I'm sure it's changed a lot since I initially went through uh, my program mm -hmm. in 2006. And it was interesting because that was a big push then was yeah. uh, academics and working with academics. And it felt like 
um, it was a badge of honor for NASM because mm -hmm. there's the creating content and partnership with universities and colleges and personal training businesses where, um, you know, schools, personal training schools and things like that. So, um, but it, it's been really wonderfully supportive. And I think that you probably get some quality feedback from them because they're not NASM. So they get feedback from their students about the content delivered. And then the, the, those universities or, or you know, places of education can turn around to NASM and say, hey, guys, this worked or this didn't work. Sometimes yep. when we ask that, then people don't want to hurt our feelings, you know, that we're NASM and I'm like, well, you know, it was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> but when you get an intermediary to go between, they're like, mm, questionable. And, and I think what's pretty cool too, is that you mentioned you get that information and, um, you know, everybody, nobody gets uh, five stars. There's 4.6 stars and that's still good. But at some point, you got to get enough information where it's if you're getting three stars on something, then it, it's not everybody else. It's right. It, it's what's being delivered. Yeah. And that, that's where it, but to your point it, um, earlier in your discussions with Prentice is um, a lot of our information actually comes from the the organic discussions that come up. And so he, he wasn't kidding when he said this has all been great. And it's exactly what we're looking for, uh, because it is oftentimes difficult. Um, to be able to get that that honest feedback, um, if people know that they're talking directly to NASM, to, as you mentioned, it's you know, you guys are so great, you're doing everything perfectly. Um, but a lot of our information does come from just observing people and seeing how they're interacting with our product or how they're interacting in the industry, how they're working with their clients, um, and just having it be organic observation, listening in, not necessarily asking a ton of questions all the time, but just um, trying to be a fly on the wall, so to speak, in, in the life of a fitness professional. I like that. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your contributions to NASM, to the fitness industry and education for personal trainers throughout the, the US and with the exponential growth that NASM has had worldwide. Um, congratulations and thank you for your contributions to that. I really appreciate everything you've done. Yeah, thank you for having us on today. You're thank welcome. You, Rick. You're welcome, guys. Anything you want to close with? Any additional comments that you'd like to make before we wrap? Um, probably the only thing that we didn't discuss that I think is important. The, the one nice thing about the way that we're developing courses now with the digital format is that they can evolve over time. And that's, uh, we've done that with the CNC product and we'll do that with any of these other ones. So that way a year from now, that product will be better. Two years from now, it'll be better. Three years from now, it'll still be current. And then it'll go through a completely new rebuild um, from there. So that's our goal is to have the most current information. And that's the advantage of not publishing textbooks with all of our courses is that we can uh, keep it up to date all the time. That's a great point. That was one of the, the comments that were made at that tech course I went to on technology when they were doing the virtual textbooks is that, you know, if there's a, you know, something's misspelled or, you know, grammatically something's off or there's new evidence that comes out updated. Boom. There's the information that's right there. So it's not let's just wait till the next edition of the textbook to come out and we'll make all of this happen. So. Uh, there's a brilliance with being able to do it that way. So, all right, Mike Fanzagrassi, Brian Sutton, Ian Montel, thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate having you. Uh, and 
look, I'm looking forward to seeing y'all again in person. It's been far too long. Um, so eventually we'll make that happen and hopefully we'll do it out in Phoenix where y'all are and not during the <laughs> summer. So thanks very much. I appreciate you. I appreciate everyone listening. This has been the NASM CPT podcast. Thank you.